everyone, and welcome to the Hearts of Fire podcast. Today's discussion will be a very meaningful one, as we are joined today by Sister Liz Engel to reflect on her lifelong ministry at Downeyside Adoption Services. Before we get to our discussion, I'd like to remind you that whether you're watching this episode live or listening to it on a podcast, make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. We appreciate your support of the Hearts of Fire podcast. Now on to today's discussion with our guest, Sister Liz Engel. For those of you who don't know her, Sister Liz is the Executive Director of Downeyside Adoption Services. Thank you, Sister Liz, for joining us today, and welcome to the Hearts of Fire podcast. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you for asking me, Katie. You are quite welcome. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here, a little cold, but beautiful. Well, it is the winter time. Well, officially. So, and, you know, let's just dive right into it. And, you know, Sister Liz, tell our listeners about your ministry at Downeyside. How long have you been there? And what's your role within the organization? Okay, uh, Katie. Uh, first of all, I've been at Downeyside directly for the past 30 years. And Downeyside Adoption is a nonprofit, non sectarian, private adoption agency. And it was founded in 1967 by my older brother, Father Paul Engel, a Capuchin priest, when he was in Springfield, Massachusetts. After being director of various offices in New York and New Jersey, I took over the role of the executive director in 2017 when Father Paul became ill and was unable to continue his role as executive director. Uh, Going back to my brother's initial commitment to children who were without without homes and or parents, I felt it was was really a real connection with my early days in St. Dominic's home where I ministered as a cottage mother and a group home mother to adolescents. In fact, my original intention for entering the Sisters of St. Dominic in Bloorville was their dedication to homeless and neglected children in New York and uh, whereabouts other areas that we were in. And over the past 30 years, I have placed over, or the agency, not me personally, but I've placed about 200 in New York and New Jersey, but the agency has placed over 8,000 children in 54 years of its existence. The agency has two offices right now. One is in New Jersey, Lavalette, New Jersey, and the other one is in um, Yonkers, New York. Okay, so what else would you like to ask me? Well, I mean, that's a great description. And I, you know, I'm very familiar with the work that you've done in your ministry, and it's very admirable. And you know, people all the time talk about what a difference you and Downeyside have made for their lives and their families. And that's why everybody loves you, Sister Liz. And, you know, moving forward, 2020 was a very difficult year for many ministries. And if, you know, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners what it was like for you and the entire Downeyside team. Well, I can say for us, it was affected in the New York area, but not so much in the New Jersey area. And we still haven't figured out why that is, except that I know in New Jersey that the uh, child welfare 
Institute or department here closed their doors during a lot of the COVID, the months of when COVID was first came out. Therefore, parents were not being um, serviced and children were not being placed. And at that point, because of that, a lot of parents uh, called Downeyside to see if they could adopt through us. And the difference would be if they adopted through the state, they wouldn't have any cost. When they adopt through a private agency, naturally there is a cost. Sure. And we are still the cheapest adoption agency that I know of, definitely in New Jersey and probably in New York, outside of state adoptions. State adoptions take longer. There are a lot more people involved. They have a lot more regulations. So when they go through a smaller agency, they get more attention and they get more services uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference. And people like that. Um, the, the main work of our ministry is to eradicate foster care because the foster care system anywhere is very um, needy in the sense that children are not really being served um, uh, People are not really being screened in some places. And I have uh-huh. two, two short stories to tell you about what the foster care system did to one or two of our children. The first child I want to talk about, his name was Timothy, and that's a name I changed to, prevent, to protect his privacy. Sorry. However, Timothy was five years old after getting lashed by his father and hitting, hit over the uh-huh. head with the father's beer bottle. The father was put in prison and Timothy was sent to foster care. While in foster care, he was there three and a half years and went was in six different foster care homes. Reason being, in many of the homes, he was neglected. He was deprived of some of the natural services that children get. He was deprived emotionally. Um, he was abused and after about three and a half years, luckily a loving family came forward, saw him on what we call the, uh, adoption website and they petitioned to adopt him. And in, I guess it was in after eight, at the age of eight and a half, he was adopted with two very loving families and for the spent the next 18 years with them until he was old enough to live on his own, but is in touch with the families. That was Timothy. The other boy was Brian, and Brian was the first Downeyside boy. And Brian has a very interesting story because he really was the impetus that started the whole agency. Uh, Father Paul was a priest in downtown mm-hmm. Springfield, and and Brian would attend mass there frequently. And one day he asked Father Paul if he, what he would have to do to become a priest. So in talking to Brian, Father found out that Brian had been homeless, that he had lived with his parents for some time, was put into foster care, and at the age of 17 left foster care and got a job, but never had an opportunity to finish his, his education. So in order to become a priest, Father told Brian, well, you have to finish your education, number one. 
So he did, he found a home for Brian with a woman by the name of Margaret Downey. That is the name of our agency because she was the first parent to take a a child in. Brian lived with Margaret and she adopted him almost immediately at the age of 17. She adopted him and he lived with her until her death, which was many years later. She died at, I think it was 99 or 100. Wow. But I'm happy to say that Brian today is a brother in the Franciscan order and lives in Connecticut. That's right. Brian was the impetus. And I always told my brother, this is definitely God's work. Absolutely. Of course, of Brian. So that was the beginning of Downeyside. And over the years, as I told you, we've placed many children. We had offices in the Midwest for several years. We were in seven different states adopting, getting adoption done by many, many people. But because of welfare, because of laws, because of cutbacks, Downeyside is only now in two areas. Hopefully in the future, we can expand again. Um, I also want to you know, tell you that the, the Downeyside is going, hopefully will continue. And even though I plan to retire January 1st, 2022, it will be taken over by a Franciscan brother, not Brian, but brother Terrence Taft, who has a big background in adoption, in foster care services, mainly adoption because he knows now that our mission is to eradicate uh, foster care. And he is already started and doing a great job. So I'm hoping that our legacy and children will continue to be placed out of foster care in adoptive homes with wonderful parents. So, so, so I don't know if this, um, we also, I also want to talk about a book that was written. Sure. Explaining the adoption program, explaining how we started, explaining the need for people to be aware of foster care and, and its problems. I'm not saying all foster care parents are bad because some of them are wonderful. But the fact that children don't find permanency is destructive to them and to their Absolutely. Growth. Permanency is what's important. In the state of Texas, and I don't mind saying it, one of the boys that we I talked about, Timothy, he was there for a while in a foster care with four boys and four girls. They were in separate rooms, separate bathrooms. But they were on so many drugs, they slept half the day. Oh, wow. You have to know that when children go to some places, and this was in the state of Texas, Mm -hmm. the parents are paid very, very well to care for these children. So the house was beautiful because the parents who adopted him saw everything, saw how drugged up the kids were. They were sleeping half the day. But the house was beautiful. There were a few toys around. They had no one to look help them with homework. They would just it was it was just custodial. It's hard. And that's what's going on unless parents are screened and people are constantly checking. And I'm sure people have read a lot about uh, some of these cases where parents have been arrested and put in jail for their treatment of homeless children. The book also will describe a lot of this. I'm going to hold up the book so people can see 
what the name of it is, and it can be purchased at Barnes and Nobles and also on Amazon. Here is the book. America's so youngest, youngest possible. So for those of you who are listening today um, and can't see the visual of what's going on, it's a book uh, called America's Youngest Hostages, a uh, book by Ian Kedulis. Kedulis. Yeah. And it shares what the true cost of foster care is and who is paying for it. Correct. So, and Sister Liz is encouraging everybody, you know, to read this important book and, you know, to raise awareness about this issue. And Sister Liz, before, you know, you just shared some big news um, that you are retiring. I am. You know, can you go into a little bit more about that? Uh, you know, Well, I turned 80 in August and I felt that was time for me to Give it well, all you look good for 80. I feel that I don't have the same energy, not interest I have, dedication I have, but energy I don't have. I also don't feel that I am updated with social media and all the components of running an agency that are important. Sure. And for that reason, I told the board of directors, which we have, that I thought it was time for me to move on. However, I wanted to stay involved, so I'll be a, I'll be on the board. Great. And the president of the board asked me to be a consultant for a while to our new executive director, Brother Terry. So that's what I plan to do. I'm happy that's about it. I'm relieved about it because I feel that we need the best. We need the energy to do this work. So I'm happy to retire and to move on and I will stay connected. You know, and this is kind of a bigger question, you know, with you retiring, what do you hope your legacy has been at Downeyside and what kind of message do you hope to leave as you retire in 2022? Well, one of the sayings that always resonated in my mind is that children grow best in families. And that's what we're about. We're about getting these homeless children into permanent families where they're loved and cared for. And that will always be my um, my thoughts in terms of praying for these children and for the agency. I also worked at St. Dominic's, which I loved, and kept in touch with a lot of the children who were in there and they weren't freed for adoption. That's when we can adopt. You can, children can be adopted once they're freed for adoption through parents or through the courts. However, some of these children were never freed for adoption and therefore they lived in group homes or even in foster homes. And I'm happy to say that the children that I was with for many years, and I was there about 10 years total between the cottage and the group home, I have kept in touch with any of the children that I had in the group home and they're doing well and they're, they're mature people. Some of them are in their fifties and they're doing very well. And I'm, in fact, Katie, you met one of them, Lydia. Lydia is my, I call her my daughter. If you don't but, mind, that's, if you don't mind sharing that story, you don't have to tell the full story, but just a little bit of it for our listeners, because that's a very lovely story just in general about her. Well, Lydia was a girl in the home probably since she was a toddler, three or four. And um, she was placed there with her two brothers. And um, 
when I was assigned, I used to meet Lydia in the cottage, in the baby cottage. So I kind of know Lydia some of the time. She was a toddler until she was 14 when um, one of the, the sisters who were in charge of the agency asked me, would I take a group of children and start a teenage group home mm -hmm. in the Bronx? I think I was the first teenage group home for St. Dominic's home. We were on uh, Given Avenue in the Bronx. So Lydia definitely was one of the girls I asked to take and seven others. And we went to the group home and it was quite a challenge for me because I was really alone until I got some counselors that came in in the evening or whatever to run the group home and care for these eight girls. And, but Lydia was always very special. Um, she lived with me, went to, they finished school. They went to Pius High School, which is one of our schools run by our sisters. So Lydia is known by a lot of the sisters in the community. She, um, her brothers went off at, at the age of uh, high school age. A lot of the boys were sent up to St. Pius High School in Chester, New York. So she was separated from her brothers for quite a while, but we tried to maintain contact in the group home with family members. But Lydia then uh, stayed in touch with me after she left at 18. She had her baby, Sharice, who went to Dominican College for two years. So there's always a connection with the sisters, always. Uh, Lydia now lives in Arizona with her husband, Joseph, who was also a child in the home. Absolutely. And they met at a reunion, a, a festival day, uh, many years ago. And they connected and they got married and they lived together in Arizona. And I'm hoping, because I'm retiring, to spend some time with her in Arizona. Well, so that's I'm my sure she'll love to see you. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lovely, lovely story. And I love the connection between St. Dominic's home yeah. and you know, two, you know, two people reconnecting at a fall festival, one of our autumn festivals. Yeah. And it's it's lovely. And um you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, your your ministry in general, um, the adoption agency, you know, foster care. Um, you know, final question for today. If there was anything you would share with our listeners about the adoption, you know, adoption in general, foster care, that people, you know, in general, that people might not know about just to raise awareness about you know, any issues in particular that people should know about, what would it be? I guess a lot of it is, I, I like to say there's a lot of red tape in adopting children. Um, and it's almost unnecessary. I think sometimes parents are put back, like maybe discouraged because there's so much red tape. But on the other hand, parents need to be really screened and monitored. Um, they have to be trained. There's a whole uh, process for a parent to become adoptive parent. But once they do become an adoptive parent and they're good, the, re the result is they often say, I didn't make a difference for this child. They made a difference in our lives. And I always think of that. Parents feel so blessed by the children they adopt because I really feel that God blesses them because this is such a special service to these children. And I know that recently on television, there was an adoption 
they have it every year, holidays for adoption. Of course, fortunately, I missed it, but I heard a lady talking about it in the store and I, I listened and she said it was wonderful to hear the stories of these parents who adopted these children and what a difference it has made for them personally. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I want to say. Um, to adopt, it might be, you know, a little bit um, legalistic in many ways that gets involved. But you have to, un- you can't look at that. You have to look at what you're doing for a child. I have a family who adopted three children, their siblings, because now they insist that you have to adopt sibling, all the siblings if, if uh, children are, have brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who can live with them. In some cases, they can't. But in most cases, parents who want to adopt one have to take them all. This family took three, and they're like 11 through seven, I believe, the children. Wow. And what's really nice, next week, before Christmas, they will be officially adopted because they're not adopted the minute they go into a home sure. place. Every state has a limit. They can, In New Jersey, they have to be in the home six months. I think it's the same in New York before adoption. And in the six months, we call it post-placement services, they get visits from the social worker on the agency and so on. So they are monitored. Um, I, I'm happy to say that of all the pl- families and children that we've placed, we've only had two disruptions. <laughs> and I think that's phenomenal. That is. A disruption means it didn't work. The children mm-hmm. didn't work or the family didn't work. We've had very, very few disruptions. So I think that says something. I really no, do. It absolutely so. does. And it you know talks about how how wonderful of a ministry you are, you have, and mm-hmm. you know what a difference you're making. And I actually have one more question for you. Sure. Um, what has your ministry meant to you, just personally? I think that um, personally, I feel that I've I've done God's work, and that was the reason I entered the sisters because I wanted to continue to serve His children. So that's all I could say. Well, that's beautiful. And, you know, just thank you for sharing your story with us today, you know, talking about your wonderful ministry and just the difference you've made in so many people's lives. You really do make a difference. And I'm happy that you are staying on as a consultant with Downeyside. You know, it's going to be a big loss for them not having you leading them. But I know you will still have an impact there. And I thank you for joining us today. And I hope you'll join us for future discussions. Thank you, Katie. And bless you for your work. Well, I thank you. And I hope you have a good day, Sister Liz. Thank you. And before we go, I'd like to remind you that if you enjoyed today's discussion, please let us know by giving the Hearts of Fire podcast a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcast. And we hope that you'll tune into our discussion next week, where Associate Ellen Nash will join us to discuss the Ladato C Action Platform. Thank you for joining the Hearts of Fire podcast today. And please know that you are in the daily prayers of our sisters and associates.